Get ready to learn all about America's national parks with National Park Adventures, and I'm your host, Ashley. So strap on your hiking boots and let's hit the trail. Hey everyone, welcome back to the National Park Adventures podcast. I'm your host, Ashley, and today we're talking about Rocky Mountain National Park. I am so excited to talk to you guys about this park. It's just very, very beautiful, has lots to offer, and is just a highlight of the National Park era. So let's just go ahead and dive right in to the park overview. So first off, this park is located next to Estes Park, Colorado. It is roughly 260,000 acres, and there's about 4.3 million visitors a year. So a very, very popular park for sure. Now, there is over 300 miles of hiking trails as well, so there is so much to experience and view in this park, way more than I can cover in this episode, so definitely recommend checking out a book or any other blogs or anything like that just to get a better understanding of what is good for you and your family on your guys' trip. Now, this park is the ninth national park. It was established in January 26th in 1915, and this park is since it is larger than some of the other ones we have covered recently, it does have four visitor centers within the park boundary and one outside the boundary, which is in Estes Park. Uh, the main areas of the park are on the east side near the Estes Park area, and the visitor centers in this particular area are the Fall River Visitor Center and the Beaver Meadows Visitor Center. And this is near the Bear Lake entrance, which is definitely one of the most popular areas of this park, and it also has a lot of well-known hikes in this area. Now, the other visitor center is the Alpine Visitor Center, and this is closer to the western side of the park, but you can get there via the Trail Ridge Road from the east side. Now, this visitor center is very high in altitude, so definitely be prepared on your drive there. Um, Make sure you bring plenty of water and all of the good things to avoid altitude sickness. But this is a really cool visitor center. You're just very high up. Um, You get to see a lot on your drive to it, so I would definitely recommend it. I would not recommend it on the first day, though, um, if you come from a lower elevation area because we did it on the first day and we just did not feel good afterwards, even though we weren't there very long and we started, you know, going back down in elevation. It just wasn't a great idea. The last visitor center within the park is the Kwanichi, which is on the south side of the park. And this area is definitely less um, traveled per se. So if you are looking to avoid the crowds and you're going in the peak time, you know, like summer, fall area, um, I would definitely recommend looking at this this side if you're just kind of wanting to avoid the really popular areas. For entrance fees, you can purchase all of these on recreation.gov and a vehicle pass is $35 for seven days. And this park does have the timed entry requirement just like Glacier and several other parks. And this is for May 26th through October 22nd for this year. And there's two types of permits for this park actually. So you need a park access. Now this is for visitors who want to see the Trail Ridge Road, the Alpine Visitor Center, um, Wild Basin, basically anywhere that's not Bear Lake. And this time entry is required between 9 a.m. and 2 p.m. each day. Now, the Park Access Plus is the other option for permits, and this is for visitors who want to see the Bear Lake Corridor, which um, 
is, you know, the most popular area. It also does allow you to other areas of the park as well, not just the Bear Lake area, but it is um, a more popular area. So these permits go faster, if that makes sense. And for the Bear Lake area, the timed entry requirement is between 5 a.m. and 6 p.m. You only need one timed entry permit per vehicle, not necessarily per person. So just think about that when you're planning your trip, if you're going to need more than one vehicle. And you can definitely check the um, National Park website for like at the official release dates for the timed entry permits. They do come out early, so you can purchase those in advance. And in my opinion, the best time to visit would be the summer or the fall. I know that's also the busiest time of year, but personally, I think that's the prettiest time in the park. Um, it is open year round, so you definitely can um, go in the winter months. It's just going to have a lot more snow and potentially things being closed and, and things like that. So getting to the park, the closest airport is the Denver International Airport, and it's around 66 miles away from the entrance, so just over an hour and a half. Um, So I would recommend that if you're needing to fly or you can definitely drive. From Kansas City, it was about maybe like 10 hours or something like that, so not overly bad, Um, definitely close enough that we wanted to drive instead of fly. Now navigating the park, you're definitely going to want a car. The only thing is parking is so limited at the trailheads because again, there's over 4 million people visiting this park each year. It's just a very, very busy park. So I would recommend using the shuttles if you're going to go during that busy time. And the shuttles are great because they're free to use. Now the schedule for 2023 hasn't been fully released yet, but it should be released very soon. So if you are planning a trip for this summer, I would recommend keeping an eye on the National Park website so you can see that and start planning. But there's a lot of benefits to the shuttles due to just the limited parking. And there's three shuttle routes and you can find this map on the National Park website. And there, so the three are the Bear Lake Shuttle. This stop includes the Park and Ride, the Bearstat Lake Trailhead, the Glacier Gorge Trailhead, and Bear Lake. And then there's a hiker shuttle, and this only stops at the Estes Park Visitor Center and the Park and Ride. But you can use this to come from Estes Park to go to the Park and Ride and then hop on another another shuttle from here. So that's what I would recommend if you don't want to drive through the park. And then the third one is the Marin Park Shuttle, and this includes the Park and Ride, um, Sprague Lake, Hollowell Park, Tuxedo Park, the Campground lots of other trailheads. So I would recommend using those, um, especially just to try to relieve some stress of trying to find a parking spot. Now, this is definitely only in the very, very busy area of the east-north-ish side of the park. So if you are traveling to the west side or the southeast side, you're not going to have the shuttles. So in that case, I would try to get to the trailhead really early. For example, Wild Basin, which is on the southeast side where we went for our trip, um, we got there very early, but it was definitely full when we were done and we were done very early in the day. So I would recommend getting there before like 9 a.m. So let's dive into some of the history of this national park. The area that is now known as the national park was once inhabited by the Ute tribe and they weren't there year round um, just due to like the extreme weather, but they, they had, you know, access to the land and were the main inhabitants of the land until around the late 1700s. 
And this land was a part of the Louisiana Purchase in 1803. But many explorers actually avoided the area due to the rugged terrain. And so it really wasn't explored very much until around like 1843. And this is when Rufus Sage came to this area. He was one of the first people to actually write about the area. And he called it the scenes um, in the Rocky Mountains. And this actually got really popular around the 1860s with the Pikes Peak Gold Rush. So this drew a lot of miners, speculators, all these people that are starting to mine for gold. And by the 1900s, this is when Teddy Roosevelt really started pushing this national conservation, um, conservation, sorry, and preservation movement. And it was just really in full swing, really popular. Um, again, this was the ninth national park. So, you know, there was several other parks that just got the ball rolling and got people really excited to save this land for future generations. So in 1909, a man named Enos Mills. He was a nature guide, a lodge owner, and just a lover of nature in general. He fell in love with this area, and he actually said that it was his hope that, and I'm going to read a quote, um, in years to come when I am asleep beneath the pines, thousands of families will find rest and hope in this park, which I think is so cool. He just realized that this could be something bigger and longer than his life. And so he spent the next several years talking to people across the nation about the park. He wrote multiple articles and letters. He actually went to Congress and lobbied to them about how they need to establish this area as a national park. He actually got lots of support from the Denver Chamber of Commerce, the Colorado Mountain Club, and most civic leaders. He did have some opposition from like the miners and things like that, but mostly a lot of people were in support. And he was actually successful in his efforts um, when President Woodrow Wilson signed the Rocky Mountain National Park Act in um, 1915. So that's pretty cool. And that's what created the national park we know today. So as we mentioned in the Mammoth Cave episode, the Great Depression came um, with millions of people unemployed. So President Franklin Roosevelt created the Civilian Conservation Corp, also known as the CCC. And this employed a lot of young men to work the land. And this was used for several national parks as well as um, just several monuments that are popular today. But in Rocky Mountain in particular, they built roads, trails, buildings, they put, um, you know, planted trees, put out wildfires. But the most notably thing they built is the Trail Ridge Road, which is the very, very popular road that goes through the park. And this was really big for the time because visitors visited this park by car. And other parks at this time, say like Yellowstone, they had railroads near the park. So that's how people got to those parks. But for Rocky Mountain, people drove their car here. And so this was just really big because they were able to allow visitors to see more areas of the park and get people more interested in the park. Is it easier, you know, accessible and things like that. And after World War II, Congress actually launched a mission called Mission 66, and this was to improve the facilities by the 50th anniversary of the National Park Service. So in Rocky Mountain, there were several visitor centers that were built. They also removed a lot of old buildings and lodges, and they created and improved a lot of the campgrounds. So that's kind of how the National Park that we know today was formed, which is really cool. 
Now, I'm going to kind of skip over what my fiance and I did only because I did mention practically the whole um, trip in the first episode of this podcast. Um, This is where my fiance proposed to me and um, I go through that whole story. So I didn't feel like you guys needed to hear it again. But if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I would definitely recommend you go back and listen. It's a very, very sweet story Um, and one of my favorites, obviously. So let's dive into some things that you guys can do with you and your fam or your friends or whoever you're going with to Rocky Mountain. First off, hiking. Hiking is a huge thing. They have so many trails here and just so many areas to discover. So let's just start with the basic, you know, the very, very big one, which is Bear Lake Trailhead. There's so many hikes in this area that you can do and they aren't overly um, strenuous. They're very easy. Uh, The Bear Lake Circle in general is just a very kid-friendly area. Uh, It's not, it's not very long. And so this area is great for kids or people who just really like lake hikes. Um, The lakes in this area include Odessa, Hiaya, Dream Lake, Bear Lake, a whole bunch of lakes, and they're all right very near each other. So just a really easy area to get around. For Long's Peak, now this, this peak is the highest peak in Rocky Mountain National Park. It's at 14,259 feet. So this is a very popular trail, but I will say that it is a very strenuous trail. You basically take what's called the keyhole route, and this takes anywhere from 10 to 15 hours and is a very strenuous hike. It crosses a lot of narrow ledges. It has loose rocks, really steep cliffs. Would not recommend this for kids or people who are unexperienced in hiking. I haven't done this um, because I am not equipped to do this. So I would just really recommend reading um, information about this hike before you attempt it. Um, I am going to link something in the show notes that goes to the National Park website that kind of has some more um, FAQs and things like that. But this hike ascends like 5,000 feet and you definitely need to start this hike before the sun rises if you are interested in doing this one. Along with that, Chasm Lake is also a really, really popular lake, and it's right around this area. Uh, However, it's a very strenuous hike as well, around 8.4 miles, um, but it is very beautiful, rated one of the top hikes as well. Now, if you like waterfalls, there's lots of places for waterfalls in Rocky Mountain. The Ozu Falls, which is in the Wild Basin area, this one's actually a really good hike. It's only 2.7 miles. Um, 960 feet elevation gain, really not that bad. And this is um, one that we did and I really enjoyed it. There's also Alberta Falls, which is in the Glacier Gorge area. It's very short, only 0.6 miles and really easy in terms of elevation gain. It's only 210 feet. So definitely a really great option. Now, if you're interested in summit hikes, there are two that I looked up and thought were very interesting. Um, The first one is Flat Top Mountain. This is located in the Bear Lake Trailhead area, and you hike to the top of the Continental Divide, which I think is really cool. This is a strenuous hike, and it is 8.9 miles and about a 2,000-foot elevation gain, so not for the faint of heart, but I'm sure the views at the top are gorgeous. The second one is the Twin Sister Summit. 
This one is located at the Twin Sisters Trailhead, which that's on the southeast side. And this hike includes like a forested trail. It also has a lot of changing landscapes and some switchbacks as well. This is also a very strenuous hike with um, about seven miles and it's roughly 2,500 elevation gain. So both of these are very difficult hikes, but again, it is a summit hike. um, So they typically are more strenuous. Now, if you're into climbing, Rocky Mountain is definitely an area you can do that as well. There's just a lot of areas in the park. You don't need a climbing permit, but if you do plan to go overnight, you're going to need a backcountry permit, and you can get these on recreation.gov. So they also mentioned some climbing ethics, just low impact climbing, you know, and don't, you know, damage the area. So um, make sure you're carrying out all your climbing gear. Um, just leaving these things behind damages the area and the authenticity of the area and also can harm wildlife, which we all don't want. Uh, you can also need to uh, take the trails to access the climbing area. We just want to avoid like erosion and plant damage, things like that. You also would like uh, to leave the rock in its natural condition, which just means avoid placing like permanent protection or altering the rock in any way, such as like chipping or gluing. And also be aware of your surroundings and wildlife. And also the weather can change at any moment in time. So definitely keep an eye on the weather. Now, if you're into bicycling, this is also a really cool option as well. You do need an per person entrance pass and a one day pass is only like $15. So not that bad. And one of the most popular like trails, I guess, to bike on is the Trail Ridge Road, which is that main road that we talked about that goes through the park. Now, this is not for the faint of heart either. It has elevation ranges from 7,000 to 12,000 feet and 11 miles of the road are above the tree line, which I'm sure is really, really cool to see. And if you want to uh, bike the entire thing, you like from Estes Park to Grand Lake, it's going to be about 48 miles. So it's it's a long one. And this is open from April, April 1st to November 30th, but it's not maintained in the wintry time. So like early April and towards the later of November. So just keep that in mind um, and make sure you're, you know, checking for any snow or anything like that that might damage the road or like hinder you from being able to bike the road. So some restaurants that you can eat at inside the park, there's not really like a restaurant per se, but from May to early October, the Trail Ridge store has a cafe and a coffee bar, which is right next to the Alpine Visitor Center. So really great option if you're um, driving the road. And outside the park, Estes Park just has so many options. It's so close to the park and it's a very cute little town. There's a lot of shops, a lot of things you can do. So some places to stay. Inside the park, you're going to have to look at a campground. They don't have any lodging, which actually surprised me Um, when I was doing my research for this episode. I really thought they would have one lodge, but anyway, so campgrounds are roughly about $35 a night and you will need reservations. Um, They do go out early, so you can always make sure you can get those before your trip. Um, On the east side, there's the Aspen Glen, Glacier Basin, and Longs Peak campgrounds. And then on the west side, there's the Timber Creek campground. So you can definitely plan, you know, where you want to camp based on what kind of hikes you want to do. So there's lots of options for sure. 
Now, outside the park, there's so many Airbnbs in the Estes Park area, just a lot of options. Now, these can be very expensive, especially during the peak time. Um, I believe this is partially just because they know that there's not any lodging in the park and also it's just a very cute little town. A lot of people visit here, um, so just the demand is higher than the, um, you know, housing. So, but you can drive on the southeast side, and you can find some more affordable options um, if you just are willing to drive a little longer to get to the park entrances. This is what we did um, just because we wanted to save a little bit of money on lodging, and we are early risers, so it was okay with us to have to drive like 20 minutes to the park entrance. So that's all I have for you guys today, but I hope you really enjoyed this episode and learned more about Rocky Mountain National Park. And as always, I have links in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like and leave a review. I would really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something new about America's national parks. If you enjoyed my show, please consider leaving a review. I would really appreciate it. I hope you have a great rest of your day and I'll catch you next time.